0: I want to invite you tonight to turn with me to 1 Peter, please, chapter 5. 1 Peter, chapter 5. Welcome to uh, those of you who are visiting with us in the evening services. Uh, we have been looking at the uh, epistle of Peter. And tonight we're going to look at verses 5 and 6. 1 Peter, chapter 5. You want to keep your Bible handy, your phone handy, whatever you're using, your tablet. Uh, Keep that handy. Uh, We will look at some uh, passages as we study uh, this subject together tonight. We're talking about humility and pride. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. It's entitled, God Opposes the Proud. So let's uh, pray together. Let's humble ourselves. Lord our God and our Father, please help us. Uh, so that we would not be proud. We are proud, Lord, by nature. Otherwise, Lord, we never would have rebelled against you, but, Lord, we did since our parents. And now, Lord, we, their children, continue in those sins. Help us, O God, tonight as we consider this subject. May the Spirit, Lord, teach us and instruct us, build us up, use us, O Lord, And give glory to your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now we are going to read uh, verse 5 and 6. So let's read together. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you At the proper time. Amen. Well, a couple weeks ago, we've been looking at the opening verses of this chapter where we saw instruction and exhortation to elders. Now, elders, you'll remember, are those that are given to the church by God, raised up from within the body, uh, whereby the congregation, uh, seeing the gifts and graces of uh, certain men within the church, uh, choose those men, and then ordain those men to the office of elder for the purpose of providing oversight for the congregation. And we uh, looked at how the uh, we understand, especially as uh, Presbyterians and some Reformed Baptists, that the office of elder is a plural office; that it is uh, not to be located in one man alone uh, at a congregational level or even at a regional level. We uh, do not hold to the office. Of bishop, uh, in as it's understood in Episcopalian or Methodist or uh, Roman Catholic circles. Now we acknowledge that the word bishop is in the Bible, but we see that used synonymously with the office of elder, particularly maybe the root, uh, the um, teaching elder there. But uh, to, but we don't see uh, a hierarchy uh, of elders in the Bible. Now we could go and look at Acts chapter fifteen, where they had the Jerusalem Council, and and there you see. Um, Uh, various apostles speaking to the issue of justification by faith alone with the uh, controversy that arose in the church. You'll remember the circumcision controversy arose and uh, they had to debate what to do with these Gentiles who were being added to the church. Should we require, does God's word require them to be circumcised or not? And, um, you know, you had people like Peter standing up and, and saying, you know, no, uh, they are not to be. And you have Paul and others. But what's interesting is that the, the debate went on. It didn't stop with the apostles. The apostles didn't say, "Well, we think this, and therefore everybody else had to agree to it. It says that the, in, Luke says there was much discussion. And here you get the same principle when Peter says that he writes, he says, "I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder." Peter, though, an apostle, boys and girls, he's saying, I'm one of you in this capacity as a shepherd, as an elder, as an overseer. And so we saw that uh, elders are to do what? Well, they are to shepherd the flock. They are to provide oversight for the people of God. Now, this is a missing mark in a lot of churches today where they have um, preaching, they have worship services, But many times there is very little oversight of the people of God. I remember one time I had to counsel a woman. And uh, the woman was distressed because her husband was in an an adulterous uh, situation. And I said, well, did you talk to your pastor about it? And she said, yes. And I said, well, what did he say? And she said, well, my husband will need to go and make an appointment with him. And I remember commenting to another minister about that in our denomination, and he said, huh, you know, wouldn't that be easy if everybody who needed, you know, emergency pastoral oversight would just make an appointment with us? Um, that is not what the Bible says to do. The Bible says that it's the duty of the shepherd to go to them. And if need be, you know, knock on the door, give them a phone call, and, and you know, deal with the situation. Uh, the emergency situation sometimes, uh, and and that's a part of the shepherd's job. Now we thank God that you know those are those are seasonal; those are episodic moments in the life of of the ministry. We thank God for times where there's green pastures and still waters as well. Uh, but um, you know the Bible does say that uh, the elder is is to be ready. He he's to feed the flock and he's to guard them from the wolves. So he needs to you know, use his shepherd's crook over the head of a wolf, but at the same time he needs to show gentleness to the very people uh, that he is uh, charged to oversee. You see that in verse 3. It says, not lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be an example to the flock. And all of this is rooted in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. The sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. Now, I don't know this, but I've read in commentaries and I've heard it said that sheep actually do know the voice of a a shepherd, of the particular shepherd, so that sheep won't just follow anybody um, and that uh, they need to be called by um, the one that they are familiar with. Peter is saying here, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. When we hear his voice, uh, we will uh, be with him. Now, now, what Peter's doing in these two verses for tonight is this: he's he's turning the tables. Okay, so formerly he was looking at the elders and he was exhorting the elders to their biblical duties. Now, tonight, he uh, focuses his attention on us as a congregation at large. Notice here he does so uh, in a variety of ways. First of all, he starts with younger men. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And then he says to the whole of the church, uh, and then he says, and all of you, secondly, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And then thirdly, he gives here a quotation from the Old Testament, Proverbs 3.34, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then he gives a final exhortation. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. So let's look at these three parts. First of all, be subject to your elders here, and he focuses on the younger men. Now, why does he focus on younger men? Why is he picking on you guys? Huh? Why, why is he picking on young men out there? Well, young bucks uh, maybe need it more than others. I don't know. I, I don't know. All of us have a trouble with pride. But uh, maybe it, it's, it's young men who are growing their antlers still uh, that th- they um, have this sense that they have got this and that they don't need um, others to be telling them what to do. Now, I don't know for sure what exactly was in the mind of Peter here, but apparently the Spirit was pleased to exhort you young men. So, young men, be exhorted tonight. <laughs> to be subject to your elders here. Now that's true, certainly of all of us, but I do think, seriously, that young people do need to consider that um, even if, let's say, a young person has greater spiritual maturity um, than maybe even somebody who is older than them. Um, Let's take an, an example. Now, sometimes that's the case, many times it's not, but nevertheless, even if, say God by grace has given a young person extraordinary uh, grace and gifts, uh, they are not more seasoned in experience and, and years. Uh, and so there is at a, a natural level a need to keep that in mind that uh, we need to honor our mothers and fathers who have gone before us and and be subject to them. Now I think here he's Probably got in view, though, more narrowly that we be subject to those uh, who are elders within the church. He says, you younger men likewise be subject to your elders. Now, I was talking with the high school students today, and I I once was interested in this young woman many years ago, and she seemed to have a lot of grace and Christian maturity, but there was One thing that troubled me very greatly, I said to them, and I said it was because her family worshipped only at home. They didn't have a church. They said, "Well, there isn't a church that rose to what they felt were their standards of what a true church should be." And and I said, "But you know," and I tried to push back on that. I said, "Well, you know, how how do you handle verses like this that says, you know?" be subject to your elders. Who are your elders? They, the family had no elders. And, and that's not a safe place to be. Now, there may be extraordinary situations um, they are hard to think of, but there could be an extraordinary situation, but it's not likely here in the United States in the 21st century that you can't find somewhere a, a church that you could be subject to. The elders, and for me, this was just—I felt a red flag. And and despite, you know, what otherwise uh, looked like very um, uh, good things, that uh, commendable things that you would find in a Christian woman, said this. This just is not good. This is not safe. You know, to ha- to, to have a family that's worshiping in their home and never going to church. So um, this is something that. Is in here for our own good. This is true uh, congregation even of those of us who are elders, or your pastor. Uh, because your pastor is subject to elders. I am subject to my elders. You know, just so you know, my church is actually not this congregation. My name is on a different role. Your name is here. My name is on a roll with the presbytery. And so I am to be subject to my elders. Now, obviously, that's a a bit of an anomaly in that uh, we don't get together nearly as frequently as we do here in this congregation. But uh, should there arise some kind of problem uh, within my life or doctrine, um, I am to be subject to the elders. Um, I remember many years ago, I was in an OPC General Assembly, and a, a minister was uh, on trial. He was actually appealing his case to the General Assembly, and I was looking at the prosecutorial team, and I realized it was composed within the reform tradition of two men who were on very opposite sides <laughs> of the Reformed tradition. One was theonomic, and the other was a hardcore, redemptive historical guy. And I, I nudged... Uh, John Dr. Fesco was sitting next to me. I said, "John, you know, if if I'm ever being prosecuted by a theonomist and a redemptive historical guy, just, t- just tell me I did something really wrong, and just j- just you know, just go with it." So, uh, but we are subject. You know, that here you got these two guys who ordinarily have very different views, and they're coming together and saying, "Brother, you are you're wrong on this issue here, uh, and and you need to you need to change your your viewpoint on this here." So all of us are under authority. Uh, There's nobody who is without authority in the church. Uh, We are all under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and under the authority of Jesus Christ, we are to be subject to elders, whether elders within the congregation or the elders of the presbytery. So um, we see there that. Now, it means that we ought to listen. Uh, We are not, as sinners, inclined always to listen. And that means that we ought to uh, take heed to ourselves. If, if many people are coming to us, now it is uh, possible that many could be wrong. I mean, we see a situation like where Martin Luther is confronted by many, but the problem there was that the church had gotten so corrupt that it had lost the gospel. Here you have somebody who has rediscovered the gospel, Uh, And now, but our problem is not that usually today. Our problem is that you have these young guys who think they're Martin Luther and here I stand and I can do no other and the church, legitimate church is saying, this is, you are wrong, brother. Uh, That is more of what we probably tend to see in in our circles here. But I do want to move on here. Um, Notice here then it says that, uh, secondly, all of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Now, pride is a a human problem. It is a problem from the very beginning. We see that the devil was proud in the garden. The devil had fallen uh, because uh, he rebelled against God, which was an outbreak of pride. And I've shared with you how Jonathan Edwards speculated, and we're not absolutely certain, what the occasion of the fall of the devil is, but Edwards believed that pride was at the heart of it in that that it was the devil who thought he should sit at the right hand of the Father. And that when it became known that it would be the Son incarnate who would do that, that that the devil uh, rebelled against it. We don't know that with absolute certainty, but I certainly haven't heard anything better uh, than that. But the devil who was proud then did what? He came and whispered lies to our first parents, and they believed those lies, and and, and they became proud and puffed up, and they did what God said not to do. We need to beware of pride. Knowledge, we are told, puffeth up. We, We in the OPC tend to excel in the teaching aspects of ministry, and therefore I think we need to be all the more careful of pride. Paul says that knowledge puffeth up, love builds up. Uh, Paul said that that the chief end of our teaching is to be love. David grew proud, and because of that, he fell into adultery. Uzziah, we studied several weeks ago how Uzziah was a faithful man, but succumbed to pride and began to make an offering at the temple that he was not supposed to make. Kings were not supposed to make offerings of incense. Uh, in the temple and leprosy broke out on him and and the priest drove him from the temple. Hezekiah, we haven't gotten there yet, but he grows proud and he shows Babylon all his treasures. Nebuchadnezzar, we know about his situation. You remember that one, boys and girls? Nebuchadnezzar grew proud, even though Daniel had warned him in a dream. He warned him, watch out, Nebuchadnezzar, but Nebuchadnezzar forgot the warning later and he's on his roof, and he says, look what I've done, how great I am. Look at all that I've built. And the angel of the Lord says, for seven years you're going to eat grass like a cow, and your hair is going to be drenched with dew, and your fingernails are going to grow really long and gross. And and God humbled this proud, boastful king. And God can do that. He did that to Herod. You remember one of the Herods, there's a few Herods in the Gospels, but one of the Herods, you'll remember, accepted praise from men. They were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. And he accepted that praise. And God struck him down and he was eaten with worms. Peter got proud. Peter knows of what he speaks here in this chapter. Peter said to Jesus and in front of everybody else, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And yet that very night, He did that, which he said he would never do. Psalm 131, verse 1 says, My heart, O Lord, is not proud, the psalmist coming before God, seeking to humble himself. Um, the, The prophets would speak against the pride and the arrogance of both God's people and also sometimes of the nations that surrounded the people of God. Because of their their um, blessings, they had grown proud and arrogant, and so they rebelled against the Lord. Turn with me to Proverbs. Proverbs is a book that is replete with um, pithy sayings about the issue of pride and humility. Turn, turn to Proverbs chapter three thirty four. That was the verse that probably was being quoted here by Peter when he wrote this epistle and i'm going to try and keep us going in order here of these proverbs proverbs 3 verse 34 though he scoffs at the scoffers and that's something that a proud person does boys and girls a scoffer is somebody who goes Pah! you know they it, it, it's one of those onomatopoeias that almost sounds like the reality of it scoff you know it's a guffaw. um that, that, that they are so proud that oh, they, they have no need of this person or what they're saying. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, he gives grace to the afflicted. That is, to people who are lowly and sensible of their great need, he gives grace to. Look at Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs 11 and verse 2. Proverbs eleven two. 2. When pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom, and we—I think I just showed that to you through the various illustrations, narratively from Old Testament kings, that pride is, as we often like to say, goeth before the fall. Pride is the uh, predecessor to usually sin or judgment, and when pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble uh, is wisdom. Wisdom is and uh, humility rather is the way of of wisdom well, we should walk therefore humbly as micah's chapter 6 verse 8 tells us to do proverbs 12:15 proverbs 12:15 the way of the fool is right in his own eyes now why is that well because the fool believes himself to be wise and therefore he doesn't need to listen to other people he always thinks he's right and uh therefore He doesn't listen. But a wise man is he who listens to counsel. A wise man is a humble man. He realizes how limited his own resources are and how limited his own understanding is. And so he will uh, acknowledge that there are a lot of people who can help him. And he therefore seeks to listen. You know, I remember my mom had an uncle who was kind of like an uncle to us, to my sister and myself and i remember he always used to say he said everybody is better than you at something everybody is better than you at something and that means that everybody has something to teach you if you can just listen and figure out what it might be that they know that you don't know uh proverbs uh 12:15 uh proverbs 15:33 proverbs 15 Verse 33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. Now, how do I gain wisdom? Well, we uh, gain wisdom by fearing the Lord. The, the beginning of wisdom is, is the fear of God, the beginning of knowledge, it says in other places, is the fear of the Lord. How do I fear the Lord? Well, I believe on Him. I look to Him in faith. I repent of my sins. I trust in His commandments. I seek to obey His commandments in the details of the commandments. I seek to obey God in my thinking, my outlook, in my attitudes, in my worldview. I seek to obey him in the things I do. I think I, I seek to av- avoid the things that he forbids. I, I try to do everything that his word says to do. I don't try to live autonomously. I try to live theonomously. I use that word in the largest sense. Don't Don't worry, guys. Elders. <laughs> not speaking more narrowly of the judicial law here, but in the big picture, uh, we all are to live under the rule of God. Um, The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. And before honor comes humility. You know, I think this is one of the reasons that David, for example, went through what he went through prior to becoming king. I mean, here's a guy who was anointed king as a teenager. Remember, Samuel pours the oil on him while he's still just a shepherd in the field, he's the youngest of all the brothers, and the, and the prophet Samuel anoints him. But he, that's not like tomorrow, and then the next day he became king. You remember that he goes through a, a number of, of tribulations, uh, and in, including um, having to suffer the persecutions of Saul. And I think, why, you know, why did he have to go through all that? And I think the Lord did that to really prepare him to be king. And so don't let your present afflictions discourage you. It might be that God is just training you, helping you, keeping you humble, so that you can, at the proper time, be exalted. I haven't gotten to that part of verse, our verse tonight. But, but if you will endure those trials and tribulations, that you might be, be, be given better things. you know, and, and Paul himself, who got revelations from God, you know, even said that he prayed that God would take away the affliction, whatever that is. We don't know what the thorn in his flesh was. But um, God said, no, uh, my grace is sufficient. And and that was to keep Paul humble so that Paul could continue to be useful for the, the church. Proverbs 18, verse 12. Proverbs 18, 12. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, but humility goes Before honor. Before destruction the heart of man is haughty, but humility goes on before honor. So again here the same idea uh, that pride goeth before the fall. Proverbs twenty-two four. Proverbs twenty-two verse four. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. So God can and does oftentimes bless his people in this world and certainly in the world to come. You know, even if you never attain to riches and honor uh, in this world, you will in the world to come. So hang in there. Um, God will reward. The meek are going to inherit the earth. And God will exalt us, if not at times in this life, certainly he will in the life to come. Proverbs 27, just two more. Uh, Excuse me, Proverbs 25, 9. Proverbs 25, 9. Nope can't read my own writing here. Never mind. Proverbs 27, 2. Proverbs 27, 2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. Oh yeah, this is a good one. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Now what is this proverb saying, boys and girls? Let somebody else praise you. That is, don't be boastful. Don't, uh, you know, if somebody else praises you, that's great, okay? But don't Draw, try and draw attention to your own gifts and graces yourself. Don't try and uh, exalt yourself. That's going to lead to bad things. But humble yourself and, and be exalted. Jesus put it this way. Um, he said when you go to a banquet and you, you're there and you're looking at the tables and you don't know where you're supposed to sit, he said, well, choose the lowest seat, okay? Wasn't there a movie made about a, a wedding um, party where, you know, they're, they're the the table where they thought that the family and friends who wouldn't accept go, but they do accept. <laughs> they're, you know, they give all of these invitations out, and they realize, they begin to realize as the party goes on that they're sitting at the table, you know, uh, that, that, that they were the people that they didn't think would really accept the invitation. Well, anyway, Jesus says, choose that table. Go to that table in the back corner, uh, and and if the, the host says, come on up. Well, then, you know, come on up. But don't go to, you know, the, the chief seats and have them say, oh, uh, well, this is tables for the wedding party. You know, you need to go over there. Uh, Jesus says, choose humility, choose the, the lowest place, and, and be exalted rather than exalting yourself and saying, I think I should sit here, and then getting moved on to a lower position. Well, let me uh, take us back here uh, real quickly to our our text. 1 Peter chapter 5. So we have seen the exhortation to younger men. And then secondly, all of us, clothe yourself with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then here, finally, the exhortation. We'll close with this. He says, therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Now, how do you do that? How do you, as a proud sinner, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Well, I think, first of all, we have to confess our sins before God. I think one way to humble yourself is to acknowledge your sins. Don't excuse them. Don't entertain them. But acknowledge them. Confess them. Confess that you are proud. Confess that you are arrogant. Confess that you are difficult at times. Go ahead and confess to God that you're not easy to live with. And, and, and to uh, ask God for grace. So the first thing I think we can do is to acknowledge our sin. Secondly, we can use the means of grace. God's word uh, and prayer are means of helping us to grow in grace, to recognize that uh, the Lord is sanctifying us. He is causing us to grow, hopefully, over the years in humility. It's a wonderful thing, I think, when you do see people growing uh, in grace. I know um, it's interesting for me as a pastor to see it in my presbytery, actually, because there we only meet uh, periodically together. Uh, but it's interesting to say, you know, I remember that minister, you know, way back when. And it's interesting uh, to see how my brothers, um, as they get older, they also get more quiet in presbytery. They don't take the floor as often and, and and I think I think that's a growth in grace actually. Uh whereas they used to be we kind of have a joke th- it's called the jack in the box award and it's given to the to the minister who pops up the most during a general assembly and uh and it, it's not really a badge of honor. It shouldn't be uh sought. Let's say it tends to go to younger guys let 's just put it that way um, and um, but ministers who uh, are more experienced or have gone through more you know ministry and hard times um, tend to be slower to speak uh, on the floor of Presbyterian general Assembly so it, it is though a, a neat thing though to see how God does work grace um, in ministers I, I I can remember guys who used to be jack in the boxes. But now, you know, they're they're just a different minister than they used to be. And I think it's because, you know, some of the things they've gone through in their own congregations or um, in their own family or something like that that's just been a, just a, a tremendous trial. But as it was a trial, it was also a, 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 a severe mercy, a means of grace to them. All right, let's pray together. Father, please help us... Uh, we do humble ourselves before you now, Lord, we acknowledge our guilt, our pride, our foolishness um, that is so innate to us and is so uh, apparent to you, if it can be apparent to us at times, Lord, how much more to you. Lord, we uh, pray that you'd forgive us of our pride, and uh, for, for we know, Lord, that um, you oppose us in our pride, So, Lord, we pray that uh, we'd seek to take the low seat, even as Jesus Christ humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. And, uh, Father, we pray that we might have this attitude within ourselves. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to close tonight by singing 245 in the hymnal. So, let's take our hymnal and uh, we'll stand together. 245.